Home assignment. That's what I'm on now. Something that one can be invited to retire and finish up with a home assignment. Isn't that pretty good? Home assignment. Missionary tour. During 35 years of overseas ministry, I've been on a lot of home assignments. Uh, when I first started home assignments, we, were, we weren't on home assignment. We were on furlough back those days. And I still have the tendency when I'm talking, depending on the era, I'll, and talking to somebody, if, if it's way back, I'll say when I was on furlough. And then at a certain point, if I'm talking about those years, I'll say when, I'm on, when I was on home assignment. Yeah, even the terminology changes. And that uh, being on home assignment was every fifth year for the first 25 years. And then we changed our model a little bit and started coming instead of, of a year on the fifth year, we'd come for six months after two and a half years. And so by mid-2012, that's this year, I will have been on, I believe, um, 15 missionary tours, such as the one that brings me to you here today. First one was in Manitoba. Those are back in the days when we were all together in uh, one big happy mission there between the two countries. It was great. About six months before coming on home assignment, my uh, general way of doing things is to write a message to Colorado Springs and ask what the theme for missionary conference will be for whatever particular year. In the case that I can gear my, my talking, my, my information, to the theme of, uh, of the conference. And uh, usually that's quite easy because themes are, are chosen that go right along with missions wherever we are. And uh, so, um, uh, you know, we've been hearing for a few years about, what, what have we been saying about darkness? We're, okay, the light. And previously we would say, what, what should we do with the darkness? Pushing back the darkness. Ever heard that? Yeah, we've done we've done that for a few years, I think. And this year, when I checked, uh, well, pushing back the darkness, you know, goes clear back to the command commandment by Jesus to go and make disciples of of all nations, and uh, that's what is involved in that. So when I saw that the specific theme um, this year is to be light. Uh, that was very good because uh, I had already been asked in Ecuador when a group of pastors had come from the United States to look around. You know, in short-term missions, uh, we have different kinds of mission uh, projects. Sometimes the people do, do uh, construction. Sometimes they teach English out of the Bible. Sometimes they do medical work. And, and we all also have had one that's called the vision teams. And, uh, of course, my... My carefully uh, chosen description of a vision team are those that come and don't do anything. <laughs> but they come, you know, to look and see what God has done over the years. So, so that's good. Um, so this year, I, last year was when they'd asked me to do a little historical resume of missions in Ecuador for that group of pastors that came down. And so for that occasion... I had uh, chosen the title, We Didn't Turn Off the Lights. 
And I, w- I want to talk this morning about the fact that, no, we did not turn off the lights. You see, in 1885, a customs official in Guayaquil, that largest port that we heard about last night on the coast of Ecuador, was there when a shipment of Bibles came in. And this customs official pointed up at Mount Chimborazo, the point on this globe that is farthest from the center of the world than any other point on the earth. And he could see it from Guayaquil, clear in middle country, that snow-capped mountain, said, as long as Mount Chimborazo stands, the Bible will never enter Ecuador. He was too late. Englishman Diego Thompson had brought some New Testaments to Ecuador in 1822. And two years later, the Wheelwright brothers came with another shipment of Bibles that they got into Ecuador. Granted, when they were selling them on the streets, they were often burned in public. And one of the Wheelwright brothers was sent out of the country, expelled as a result of their Bible sales. Nevertheless, a glimmer of light had already been turned on in Ecuador way back then. In 1895, Eloy Alfaro, a general turned dictator, and then elected as president for two years after that, or for two terms, was providing sweeping changes for Ecuadorians. He is uh, credited with the construction of the Trans-Andean Railroad, freedom of speech, voting privileges for women, civil marriage, and religious freedom. His life ended on a sad note. In 1911, his former supporters removed him from office, and in 1912, he was taken from Guayaquil to Quito on the very railroad that he had created, placed in prison where a mob broke through, killed him and his um, colleagues, and um, paraded their bodies to the north end of Quito. About 95 years later, about five years ago, a poll was taken of Ecuadorians to determine who the ten most famous Ecuadorians, most respected Ecuadorians of all time were. Rolando Vera, our, our famous runner, is one of the ten, and he is the one who is still alive. Uh, but top of the list, Eloy Alfaro. So there it is, civil war in 1885, a national convention guaranteeing religious freedom, October 5th, 1896. And a week later, the first three missionaries arrived under the auspices of the Gospel Missionary Union, now called Avant. Two from North America and one from Jamaica. A light was turned on in Ecuador. Can you imagine back in 1896 to have religious freedom proclaimed in a country in the middle of the world on the equator? And have people arriving a week later from that far away, they were ready to go. They'd already done their training, I think. They'd done their home service. They were ready to get on the boat. In January of 1897, William Reed and Homer Christman arrived, and shortly afterwards, Alliance missionaries William Fritz and Edward Tarbox. It's interesting to me to know that including Julia Anderson, who arrived in 1902, Of those first servants of God, four of them stayed in active missionary service for over 50 years. 
Homer Chrisman chalked up 71 years of active missionary service. He arrived in 1897 and didn't leave until 1968. When I completed my time in Ecuador last August, I had only I had a few months to go to complete one half of Homer Christman's service to Ecuador. In those early days, it took 10 days to travel by boat and mule from Guayaquil to Quito and another three days from Quito to Otavalo. But in 1913, Homer Christman made a deal on a property for the Agato Mission Station to work with Otavalo indigenous people. The light that was turned on there seemed to be pretty dim for the first 60 years or so. But from what we have seen happen in the last 30 years, the tremendous of God's outpour, uh, Spirit outpoured on those people, the quantities of people that have come to know the Lord, we know that God's presence was there. Turning on the light in that part of the country did not come free of charge. George Lefevre is buried on the Yagato Station. When he died and for many years, it was prohibited to bury evangelicals in the local cemetery. He had arrived just months before he was taken away by typhoid fever. Who knows what we missed out on by his absence. His brother, you know, served the Lord long decades with the Alliance, the Christian and Missionary Alliance in Chile. Uh, he was he who taught my father-in-law, also a missionary in Chile, how to save money on soap. You rub the soap on your hands while they're still dry, and then you wash them. So many of you North Americans run all the soap down the drain, and I expect you to enter into a period of great savings on soap from now on. <laughs> 1922 is when lights began to shine in the capital city of Quito. From 1922 to 1944, it was the only evangelical church in Quito. During my first years in the country, there were still old guys who would tell the story about how when the church build was, building was under construction, as the walls would go up, up during the day, the opposition would come in the dark of the night and tear them back down again. A large percentage of the converts in the central church over the decades was reached, were reached through the faithfulness of the central church people going out in the nearby park and preaching the gospel in open air style. On January 11, 1928, a light was turned on when the precursor of the Alliance Bible Seminary was commenced, commenced activities with 18 students in the, what we call the Alliance Temple in Guayaquil. The first ones in charge were William Reed, Manuel Prentice, and Raymond Edmund. The practice must have served Edmund very well, because he went on to become president of Wheaton College. And on a special day when the Lord wanted every last student in chapel to remember that message, he died in the pulpit while preaching and went home to glory. In later years, the missionary stalwarts in the seminary from 1958 to 1993 were Carl and Ion Ekdal, Uncle Carl. Everybody from three generations knows Uncle Carl. And there is uh, just when my, when my wife came back from a visit to Ecuador a week ago Wednesday, there on my writing table I found an envelope. Uh, no address, no return address. All it said was Tio Carlos. 
And my, my wife said, you got to get that ready to send to Tio Carlos, to Uncle Carl. Somebody from Ecuador had sent the message to him. Um, in uh, retirement years, I own was called to heaven. And Uncle Carl married a friend of my sister's in Minnesota. We were there for the wedding. The recessional music was an old favorite. 76 trombone. Uh, you know the song. Hit parade, you know. They were both 76 years of age. Carl, now in his 80s, mid-80s, is still full speed ahead as a seniors pastor in his home church. The Alliance Academy was founded in 1929. It started out as a school for Alliance missionary children. I think there were eight students that first year. It was expanded to include children from other missions and then to children of international diplomats, business people, and now many Ecuadorians. The Academy has been a very bright light in the lives of many down through the years as large numbers of students and their families have come to know the Lord through the ministry of that school. Presently, it's a private school under the auspices of its own foundation and is called the Alliance Academy International with a student population of over 500 students. Miguel Lecaro was our first Alliance pastor ordained for full-time ministry, and this in 1947. Miguel Lecaro is a story to be told. Born in 1920, he graduated from elementary school at the age of 11. There were not sufficient finances for him to attend high school. But he was converted at the age of 20. He attended the Bible Institute and finished in December of 1945. In 1940, he was already preaching in the parks and on the streets during a period of time when people still threw stones at evangelicals. He became a worker in the main Guayaquil church in 1942 and was installed as pastor in 1948. Many years ago, he wrote his autobiography titled, My Long Ago Yesterday. Whether or not he plans an update, several more chapters could be written. In May of 2011, that's last year, he celebrated 63 years as principal pastor of the temple. You know what happens in May of this year? 64 years. At 91 years of age, well now 92 at the 64 mark, he still preaches in one of the three services on Sunday morning in that large church and was recently one of the principal speakers at a nationwide, a countrywide missions conference in Ecuador. Quito, 1970s. Church planting got underway in earnest in, in uh, the capital city. In 1974, the Bataan Church, started by Roger and Joan Powell, was recognized as a church plant. Bataan, in recent years, in the last 20 years or so, has been very faithful in multiplying by planting new churches every five years or so. I, ha I have good memories of the first church multiplication, the Republic Church. It was a dream for a long time. I remember the day that Ted Sauvé stopped by the Alliance Bookstore where my wife and I were serving at that time. He said... Let's go and pray on that property down on 10th of August Avenue, which is a part of the 
of the main highway that goes all the way through um, Latin America. And um, he said, let's pray that the Lord will keep that property for Batan's daughter church. So we went and stood in the weeds of that lot and prayed for that very thing. And the Lord kept that lot covered with weeds for another 15 years until it became possible to purchase it for Batan's first church multiplication. The donated 120 members from Batan met in the Batan church as a small group for two years in prayer and planning to begin that church. And on the first Sunday, the first week, that started with the pastoral staff, Christian education, and everything else in place. Well, except the roof. That came for the second Sunday. So they had a lot of sunshine that morning. But with the donation of 120 members, the Bataan Church budget never suffered at all. The giving maintained steady. And uh, I like to say that it was so good that they chose the 120 members that never tithed anyhow. Now, my wife says, don't say that. The people won't understand. Uh, but I'm hoping that you do. Please understand, uh, God was faithful in the finances of the Mother Church in spite of, of donated 120 members and all of the income that resulted from that. In 1978, the light was turned on in South Quito when the New Jerusalem Church was initiated. Bruce and Lorenda Jackson and John and Mary Lou Tizen were God's early servants there. Miguel Carvajal had studied to be a priest when God called him out of that and into the Christian and Missionary Alliance and uh, ministry in the seminary there in Guayaquil. Then he was impelled to move to Quito to care for his aged mother. He became lead pastor of this church and, and, for, and this for many years. And now in his mid-70s continues to serve as part of the pastoral staff in New Jerusalem. It's our largest alliance church in Quito. As one Sunday service is finishing, another one is beginning. When I take people there to visit the New Jerusalem Church, I have a couple things to tell them. Number one, don't go out the indoor. It makes the ushers very nervous. There are so many people trying to get in, it makes traffic jams occur. When you're going out, go out the outdoor. They have everything very organized to facilitate changing people in all the seats between, I think it's something like seven services going on on Sunday. And then I take them out back of the building and show them the multi-level structure that has been built over the years as their homegrown architects are, have endeavored to keep up with church growth. Uh, I remember the statement by one of our missionaries who visited New Jerusalem years ago. He came to Monday prayer and said, Ooh, I was down at New Jerusalem and that church will never grow. He says they have... They have concrete pillars right down the middle in front of the preacher. So the church can never grow with pillars down the middle of the church. Well, later we found out that the only responsibility for those pillars was to hold the building up. It had nothing to do with what God had intended for that area of the city. 
as he brought people in to come to find the Lord. There are now about 40 Alliance churches within the greater Quito area. Light shines brightly all over the metropolitan region. Let me tell you about one more. La Luz Alliance Church. My church. I stood in line waiting to update my data in the church data bank. There were two senoritas operating two computers. They had started the process the week before. I didn't have to change my date of birth, my address, or my telephone numbers. I'm a pretty stable guy. All I had to change was the number of years that I had had attended the church. 24 years. The senorita said, pretty good. She was about 20 years of age, I guess. La Luz has had a large part in the planting of the Alliance Church in Cuenca, 10 hours south of Quito, by road. Then when the Latacunga Church, 2 hours south, had dwindled to zero, the national church called my church and asked them to do a renovation project. Five years later, this church is not only up and running with a vital witness in Latacunga, it is also self-sufficient, self-supporting, and has five satellite churches out and about in that region. When there was a crisis in a church uh, six hours northeast of Quito, uh, few years ago, one of my pastors and his wife went for three days a week during eight months until that church was back on track. That same couple is presently on loan to another alliance church in Quito that was dealing with a difficult situation. And two years ago, uh, the cell groups, the small groups in the church that came from uh, Carapungo, about 10 miles north of the church, were formed into another satellite church, and that is a growing uh, church as well. So Quito is on the map, and it seems that God has that map spread out before him. As you now see in the capital city on Sunday morning, on the sidewalks and in city buses, people with Bibles all dressed up, heading on their way to church. Not only the Alliance Church, but to other churches as well. That wasn't the case 30 years ago. The lights are on and brightly shining. Down through the years, a large prayer concern on the part of missionaries to Ecuador was their desire to see the Ecuadorian Alliance become an international missionary sending entity. In later years, some who had grown up in the Alliance would indeed go on to serve as missionaries but always under the auspices of other mission boards. When would the Ecuadorian Alliance send Alliance missionaries and promote missions in the local churches? Well, in 1995, Pedro Weitsch and family headed off for Spain as Alliance missionaries, not sent by the national church, but as independents on their own. Pedro was pastor of the church in Loja in southern Ecuador when we were part of the Loja ministry over 30 years ago. And over the years, the Ecuadorian Alliance has provided the Weiches with some of their support. But it seems that they got the ball rolling. In 2004, success. Felipe Gonzalez and Rixa and family, who had served a few years on the pastoral team at my church, La Luz Church, 
were sent and are supported by the Ecuadorian alliance to Bolivia. Since then, there are more. Jessica Suarez, Papua, New Guinea. Rocio de la Ese, Turkey. The Munoz family, Senegal. And it was so good a few weeks ago to get an email describing how a short-term team had gone to help in, the cons- a par- in a partial phase of a construction of the church with that family in Senegal and to discover that that team had arrived there from Brazil. And then Elisabeth Kaisa has gone to study Arabic. She left just last week. Nelda was at her... Uh, had her goodbye event at the Bataan Church in Quito just a couple weeks ago. So the Ecuadorian Alliance Church is now a missionary sending church. Another light turned on, this time from Ecuador to the world. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Because of your prayers and involvement in God's missionary enterprise and that of those who have gone on before us over the years, multitudes of people throughout Ecuador have been rescued from the dominion of darkness. They have found forgiveness from their sins. They have been redeemed and they have been brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. A lady who purchased Nelda's sewing machine during our last days in Ecuador as we completed our time there was also given a New Testament encouraged to read it and find a church to attend. A little bit later, she stopped by and knocked on the door one Monday and said that she had been to a Christian church the day before with her daughter. As we read in Isaiah 9, verse 2, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. That lady is just one who is in the process of coming into the light as God continues to work in the hearts of Ecuadorians. Jesus is the light. Some years ago, we saw how mature the Ecuadorian National Alliance Church had become within the ranks of its leadership and in the churches around the country. And as we were setting date lines for the mission's departure from Ecuador, you might have heard my colleagues asking, which missionaries will be the last ones out? Who will turn out the lights? I am overwhelmed with all that God has done in Ecuador from 1822 to present. And when the last purely Ecuadorian missionaries departed last summer, we did not turn off the lights. Later, when our regional people eventually leave, missionaries living in Quito but working throughout Latin America, John and Jesse Ritchie, Guy and Denise Morin, Rich and Lisa Brown, and Brian and Christine Butler, neither will they turn off the lights. Mount Chimborazo, still stands. The Bible is in Ecuador to stay. And God's word has reached into nigh onto every corner of the jungle, the mountains, and the coastal regions of that beautiful land. Praise God for all that he has done. 
The Christian Missionary Alliance has completed or is completing its work in many Latin American countries. The last missionary couple recently arrived in the United States from Argentina. I believe it's one couple yet remaining in Chile. One Chinese couple is working with Chinese yet in Peru, as is the case in Panama. Our missionaries will all be completing their time in Brazil in the next year or so. Colombia said goodbye to the last of our missionaries in May. Completion of our work took place in Venezuela five years ago. And my wife Nelda and I were the last common ordinary missionaries to finish work in Ecuador. As I mentioned, the, missionary of, the mission office had closed already in June of 2009. Yes, we were the last ones as far as the North American mission out of Ecuador. And no, we did not turn off the lights. In April of last year, we requested the privilege of attending the annual Alliance Pastors Retreat for the entire country. This retreat now includes not only the pastors and their wives and their little kids, it includes all their kids. Could be kids of your age. Welcome to come. It's a family event. We wanted to touch base and be able to say goodbye to the many we, that we have known and come to love over the years. We are tremendously encouraged with the quality of leadership in our national church. We were blessed with the spirit-filled preaching and teaching on the part of Ecuadorian pastors and their wives. And the fellowship was the best. Our hearts ached as we left the home of our life and ministry for 34 years. But we feel comfortable in leaving Ecuador and the ministry in God's hands and in the care of his chosen servants there. North American mission leadership and the Ecuadorian alliance leadership consider the completion of alliance North American work in Ecuador a success because of God's goodness. We invite you to keep praying, however, for the work in Ecuador as the Ecuadorian National Church continues to reach Ecuador's people with the gospel. And at the same time, <clears throat> let's be faithful in doing our part in reaching the unreached in areas of the world where the doors are just being pried open a crack at a time. Four Ecuadorian Alliance pastors had the opportunity to visit some of the countries in the 1040 window in North Africa and the Middle East just a few years ago, where the Alliance is now concentrating a lot of its current outreach ministry. Pastor Mutre, the present Alliance National President, came back to report on their visit to these countries. <clears throat> One of the statements that he made is recorded in my mind for all time. He said that in one of the countries that they visited had an evangelical Christian population of less people than attend his church where he pastors in Milagro, Ecuador. It's true that pastors, Pastor Mutre's church is a very large, growing, dynamic church. But for that one church in Ecuador to be church home to more people then know Jesus Christ as their Savior. 
in an entire country. 63 million people. Should make us stop and think. And not just stop and think. Should prompt us to pray to the Lord of creation for the people in that country and that region of the world. Pray that there will be an outpouring of God's Spirit so abundant that vast numbers of people will have opportunity to hear the gospel, to experience the love and witness of other Christians, and come to personal faith in Christ. It ought to prompt us to pray that God will rise up an army of Christian workers willing to go to these countries that are usually considered dangerous, prepare, and go forth to serve. It ought to prompt us to send people from our churches, yes, to send people from this church to do exactly that. So I come to you today with an Ecuadorian missions ministry success story, but not with with the idea of giving permission to go to rest or to get off your knees or to keep your sons and daughters and grandkids living in the house next door. No, I leave you with the challenge of remaining faithful to the Great Commission until all have heard. As you fill out your faith promise for missions giving this time around, yes, Remember and give thanks for all that God has done where your giving has supported our missionaries serving in some countries for over a hundred years. But fill it out with numbers taking into account those places such as the country where there are still less Christians that can be found in one church in Ecuador. And keep a copy, keep a record to remind you about your giving this year. And you could even write big words on there. Those famous words of missionaries down to the years. Pray and send. Can you do it? Yes, you can. We can. Thank you so much.